Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. The MLB trade deadline is over, and it was pretty crazy. Justin Verlander is back with the Houston Astros. Michael Lorenzen went to the Phillies, and the Marlins traded for hitters. Welcome in to a special edition of Fantasy Baseball Today. I am Frank Stanfield, and the whole gang is here, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Let's get right into it. Lots of trades to discuss. The biggest of the day, the Astros acquired Justin Verlander. He is back. <laughs> At one year after winning the AL Cy Young Award. Now, 40 years old. We've talked about him a lot recently. Uh, the overall numbers this year, bit of a letdown, I think, based on what we were expecting. But over the last seven starts, he's been much better. A 149 ERA, a 106 whip, 37 strikeouts over 42 and a third innings during that time. Uh, I guess there's a chance he could win more games here uh, with the Astros lineup completely healthy. Obviously, there's familiarity there. Uh, Scott, what do you think about Verlander headed back to the Astros? Do you think he sees a big jump in value here? No, I don't think he sees a big jump in value unless they're able to uh, help him recapture some of the stuff he's lost from his 2022 Cy Young winning season. But I'm not counting on that. I mean, 40 years old is 40 years old, and uh, they they can't reverse the clock on that, even during this uh, stretch where he's maintained a low ERA, as you pointed out, less than a strikeout per inning. He's not the same guy as last year. He's still a good enough pitcher. He's still uh, somebody who could help the Astros give back to the World Series, potentially. And, yeah, I, I think his odds of winning games at a, as a at a good clip improves with this trade but i don't think it's i don't think it's going to be magic for justin verlander i think he's clearly a pitcher on the decline and um and yeah now he'll just now he'll just be declining with a different uniform on fair enough uh the astros 
you know, it sounds like Jose Arquiti could be back as soon as this week. I don't think they're going to go with a six-man rotation. Chris, do you think uh, Jose Arquiti is on the outside looking in? He just goes to the bullpen? Or, like, does J.P. France kind of lose his job? What do you think happens here with the Astros rotation? Yeah, like, maybe they they have some flexibility to give Hunter Brown an extra start off, you know, since he's pushing up on uh, his career high in innings. If he, has he passed it yet? No, he's he's actually he was among the 15 pitchers I featured mm-hmm. in that article a couple of weeks ago who could have innings concerns moving forward. But he was in the lower risk category. Yeah, he's actually so doing pretty well with innings. He was doesn't at 126 mean, last year, so he's about 15 short of that. Doesn't mean they won't want to pull back on Hunter Brown, especially since he's had some struggles of late. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe they just go with a six man rotation for a while. Or maybe they pull back on Christian Javier. I, I think that's less likely after the way he bounced back in his last start. But but the point is, they might want to build in rest for a, a, a few of their guys. Mm-hmm. Um, who would you guys rather have between Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander rest of season? Because if you play in AL only, both of those players are going to become available. I don't know if you have the luxury to choose, but let's just say that you did. Who would you guys prefer? For what it's worth... Scherzer already went through in my AL only league last night. Maybe maybe your waiver wire is set up a little differently, so they will both go through at once. But you, uh, you you kind of already had to make that decision in a lot of leagues. I would say I would prefer Scherzer because he's still getting strikeouts at a big rate. Chris, I have Verlander one spot higher. I don't feel super confident about that. The weird thing about Verlander this season has been that, like on a Per pitch basis, the the whiff rates are pretty similar to last season. And so it's not quite clear why there's been this massive, you know, 30% drop in the strikeout rate for him. So I, I have held out hope that he would figure something out. He's still doing a really good job of limiting hard contact. So I I guess I can see a clearer path to Justin Verlander taking off than for Scherzer, who is still getting strikeouts, but the quality of contact has taken a step back. So I, I, I think that's the way I look at it. But, you know, I also wonder if there's just something about the Astros that they can unlock with Verlander, which is a, an ineffable uh, or slightly less than effable, maybe a uh, bit of analysis. But yeah, I, I feel a little more confident in Verlander. I think there's a chance to. I, I would take Scherzer just because the overall swinging strike rate and, and the whiffs have been better this year. But I do think there's a chance that the Astros can maybe get a little bit more out of Verlander compared to what we've seen here with the New York Mets. I, I'm I'm just trying to figure out what effable means because that sounds fraught. Uh, like you know, like like you know how some things are effable and some things aren't. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I've, I've been watching the Amazon Prime series Good Omens, and they use the word effable and ineffable a lot. I think it, it, it's like uh, non-quantifiable, I think is the way I would say. Okay, fair enough. Speaking of those Mets, crazy year, man. Biggest payroll in baseball history, and here we are, the trade deadline. We didn't know if it would actually happen. They traded away Scherzer, they traded away Verlander, uh, Tommy Pham, Mark Canna. We'll talk about Pham. A little bit later on, what did they receive in return? Two outfield prospects from the Astros. In fact, their top prospect in Drew Gilbert, who was a first-round pick last year, 22 years old, hitting 274 with 12 homers and 10 steals in the minors this season. And another outfield prospect, Ryan Clifford, who's 20 years old, actually crushing it this year in the minors. And I did see some takes on the, the Twitter X that 
Some people think Ryan Clifford might have a higher ceiling than even Drew Gilbert. Scott, what do you think about the return here for Justin Verlander? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Did you see how much money was being sent with him? I was curious to find that out. I think it's like $35 million for this year and next year. And then half of his 2025 salary if his option vests. Okay. It's a significant, I think it could end up being like $55 million. I mean, to, to get a caliber of prospect, or I, I guess two pretty good prospects like this, the Mets probably had to do that. Drew Gilbert, by most uh, by most rank lists, is considered the Astros' best prospect. He was their first-round pick last year. He was tremendous at high A this year, moved up to double A, and, and the numbers have slowed down quite a bit. Um, but he, he kind of reminds me, of Shane Victorino, a five foot nine guy, just really high energy. Uh, the steel total is a little underwhelming, but he runs fast and, and has pretty good pop for a short guy. And I think could be a starting outfielder for the Mets as soon as next year. Uh, I would say among all the prospects that were traded here at the deadline and in the days leading up to the deadline, I would rank Drew Gilbert behind only Kyle Manzardo, who we talked about yesterday. Mm -hmm. All right, let's slide over to the Phillies, who acquired Michael Lorenzen from the Tigers for infield prospect Hao Yu Lee, and Lorenzen having a great season, uh, 31 years old, 358 ERA, 1.1 whip on the year, though we are expecting a little bit of regression to hit at some point. This is a pretty big negative park shift going from Comerica uh, to Philadelphia in Citizens Bank Park, and I did see a Phillies beat writer point out that Lorenzen is kind of up against his innings that he threw last year, and there's a chance he could be used as a reliever down the stretch. Chris, your thoughts on Lorenzen being shipped to Philly? Uh, I have not been a believer in Lorenzen all along. I expect significant regression moving forward. I think the park shift won't help in that regard, and I I think there's a decent chance we're talking about Lorenzen in, in a month, and people are just dropping him across the board. So uh, I... If there's a sell window, th- this would be it for me. Uh, Michael Lorenzen, uh, again, over to the Phillies. And uh, just trying to figure out what happens here with the rest of the rotation, Scott. Uh, right. Who, who gets the boot? Is it Christopher Sanchez? Is it I, Ranger Suarez? It's got to be, unless they're planning to go six-man for a while. Or unless, as you suggested, maybe uh, maybe Lorenzen's going to shift to the bullpen. I Maybe play a little outfield? I, I feel like if they wanted to, I feel like if they wanted to use um, the prospect they used to get Lorenzen to acquire reliever, they could acquire a reliever who is better than Lorenzen. It, it may not be as simple as that. Like they may want to have him available to start. I, I don't know. We don't know. Like I, I would still assume Lorenzen is going to start at least for now, and then and that is bad news to for for Christopher Sanchez who had become. Kind of interesting as a, a fantasy asset, just through five no hit innings against the Pirates in his latest outing. So that's that's disappointing. And given that we all, I think, see regression coming for Lorenzen, I'm not so sure they want to just prefer to have Sanchez in that fifth spot mm-hmm. for the remainder of the season. 
Another starting pitcher trade, Jack Flaherty, was acquired by the Baltimore Orioles in exchange for Cesar Prito and left-handed pitcher Drew Rahm. Rough season here for Jack Flaherty, uh, struggling big time with control, a 4.43 ERA, 155 whip on the year. Still gets a decent amount of strikeouts, just under a um, strikeout per inning for him, but 4.4 walks per nine. The underlying numbers don't really like Jack Flaherty either. Um, and look, by all accounts, this is obviously a big upgrade in terms of just team context. Uh, the Cardinals lineup actually has been pretty good this year, but it's a better ballpark out there pitching in Camden Yards now. Uh, Scott, we'll start with you. Your thoughts on Jack Flaherty to the Orioles. Is there a chance that a change of scenery can perhaps get Jack Flaherty back on track? Look, there's always a chance. I think it's difficult to predict that happening for a pitcher. It's easier to say in retrospect, oh, going to this team really fixed him. Uh, because usually, usually they are who we thought they were. Even even when they do change hands like this, and it's been bad. It's been bad for Jack Flaherty. Uh, you, you know, obviously he had the amazing season in 2019, fourth in NL Cy Young voting, and then had pitched so little in the three years that followed, mostly because of injuries. It was it was hard to know what to make of him exactly. He's been mostly healthy this year, and it's still gone. It, it's just been. Like I said, it's been bad with with few reasons for optimism along the way. Uh, you, I, I came in, I, I hopped in here before we started recording, and you guys were talking about whether or not Camden Yards is an upgrade for him. I, I just, I kind of think he's beyond that at this point. He walks too many guys. He doesn't miss enough bats, and if he doesn't solve both of those problems, I don't think it's going to matter so much where Jack Flaherty's pitching. I, I will say, I've joked a few times that I, I feel like the I have like, you know, like face blindness, you know, like when people like just can't tell people's face. I have that, but for Orioles starting pitchers, <laughs> like they're just all the same guy to me. Grayson Rodriguez, obviously not, but like everyone else is like eight and a half K per nine, three walks per nine, really good results at home. If he results on the road at times. I mean, Tyler, Tyler Wells' walk rate is a lot better than three per nine, but I, but I, I get what you're saying. 2.6, 2.6. Kyle Bradish is the lowest at 2.3. Kyle Gibson is 2.8. Three-ish. Jack Flaherty is not that. His walk rate is much higher than that. I do think this is a significant park upgrade, though. I, I think the, the extent to which Camden Yards has become a pitcher's park is not quite appreciated yet. It's an incredibly tough place to hit, especially for right-handed hitters. And I think I'm not expecting Jack Flaherty, Flaherty to be good moving forward. I'm not even sure he's going to be useful for fantasy, but like, I don't think Kyle Bradish and Kyle Gibson and, and even Tyler Wells, like I don't really think any of those guys are particularly good. And yet they've all had extended stretches where they've been very useful for fantasy. I can see Jack Flaherty being very useful at Camden Yards. I think on the road, there's probably going to be some blowups, but I really, I, I do think there's a chance Jack Flaherty is at least a viable, useful streamer moving forward. Chris, would you rather have Jack Flaherty with the Orioles or Michael Lorenzen with the Phillies? I would, I don't really want either. <laughs> you have so to take one. If you're going to make me take one, I'll probably take Lorenzen, but we might find out in two hours or whenever Rob Thompson speaks to the media that they're going to use him as a swing man, in which case it would obviously be Flaherty. All right. Well, Scott, do you have any takes here on the prospects? I, I don't think they're 
big standing here, the ones that the uh, Cardinals received for Jack Flaherty, but Cesar Prito, 24-year-old infield prospect, and Drew Rahm, a 23-year-old left-handed pitching prospect, does have some strikeout upside, but uh, has struggling with the ERA and the whip this year. Uh, any thoughts on those two? Prito has had my attention this year. I, I featured him in the prospects report once. He is... I had his page pulled up, and now I closed it. Okay, he's batting between double and triple A, 349 this year. Very low strikeout rate. A, a guy who has a lot of experience from Cuba and was a great source of batting average there. It's it's a it's a Luis Arise profile, I would say, which obviously there's a sample of one in terms of Luis Arias yeah. caliber players in the majors. So is that profile one you really want to assigned to a minor leaguer like is that going to be an uh is that gonna lead to a successful outcome at the major league level probably not but uh i'm sure later this week i'll be writing about the best prospects moved at the deadline and i'm sure Prito will show up on that list all right let's take our first break and when we return we'll get chris's thoughts on all of the marlins hitters that they acquired we'll do that right after this Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome back, and let's talk about the Miami Marlins, who were busy acquiring some hitters here on Tuesday. And first up, they traded for Jake Berger in exchange for pitching prospect Jake Eater. And uh, Eater and Berger, that's, that's pretty good. Just uh, thought about that now. Uh, Jake Berger will get the chance to, you know, for the most part, he's been playing every day for the White Sox. But now there are no questions. He's going to play every day for the Marlins. They are desperate for power. And that's exactly what he provides. 25 home runs this season, 52 RBI. That also comes with a 214 batting average and a 32% strikeout rate. Chris, I think most people will look at this and they'll say, you know, it's a pretty big uh, downgrade in terms of park. I don't think the park really matters for Jake Berger. I, I think it's just a good thing he's going to get the opportunity to play every day. I I struggle with that because, like, yeah, when you hit a 200 or a 430-foot home run, it doesn't really matter if it was a short park, a short fence, or a long fence. But, like, there are still... 370 foot home runs to be had. It's a downgrade in park. It's probably pretty neutral in terms of overall environment. But yeah, on the whole, I think it locks in playing time. He's probably going to play third base moving forward. I would guess with uh, Gene Segura getting traded. I'm not a full believer in Jake Berger, but the underlying numbers are actually even better than the 
uh, surface level numbers, the 214 batting average, 252 expected batting average. The quality of contact is obviously very, very good. Play discipline is very, very bad. As a Marlins fan, I am sort of guarding against this kind of player just completely flaming out the way Jorge Soler did the first two years of his contract. But hey, we've seen Jorge Soler bounce back this season. So maybe Jake Berger can uh, can hit 235 with eight home runs the rest of the way and give them a little boost. I, I Look, anybody who strikes out as often as Berger does, you know, over 30% of the time is, of course, at risk of flaming out. That's That's kind of just... It's an inherently volatile profile. It's an inherently volatile profile, but I don't want to understate the extent of the power potential here for Jake Berger. Only he's one of only 11 players with 25 or more home runs currently. And the other 10 um, all have at least 42 more plate appearances than him. So he's been among the players with 25 or more home runs. He has been the most efficient home run hitter so far. Only two players in all of baseball have hit a ball harder than him this year, Matt Olson and Giancarlo Stanton. So, like, he is very, very, very top shelf mm-hmm. power hitter here, as as the home run output shows, and of course the exit velocity. Whether you want to, by either measure, he is a top shelf power hitter, and that is the way you overcome a strikeout rate like that. As you pointed out. Um, the expected stats are even better than the actual ones. Expected batting average is 252. I'm surprised it's that high. Mm-hmm. Actual batting actually, average is 214. And, and a big part of it is like a lot of his profile looks a lot like Patrick Wisdom, to name one example of a guy who hits the ball really hard and strikes out a lot. The difference is uh, Jake Berger isn't like a fly ball hitter. His line drive rate is 23%. His fly ball rate is 26%. So like, yeah. There is room for the batting average to improve because of that skill set. Yeah, so I mean that's that that's that's a good thing, and I I think part of the reason I'm encouraged that or I'm, I'm hopeful I guess that he won't take a step back is because well he's already batting 214 he already has a 279 on base percentage. If if all you're expecting from Berger is who he's been so far then there's a chance you're going to be pleasantly surprised going forward. I think there's a better chance of that than that. The, the, the rug's going to be pulled out from under him and he's going to become useless. He had been playing every day recently anyway, once the, once the White Sox opened the door to him mm-hmm. getting time at second base. So, um, you know, we'd, we'd already gotten kind of used to him in an everyday role, but certainly that continues now that he's joining the Marlins, who may be the lineup that needs him more than any other team. He's kind of... I, I, I feel like Jake Berger is kind of the yin to Luis Arias's yang. Like they are the most extreme versions of polar opposite hitters. And now the Marlins have them both. Yeah. I, I've heard, you know, in the past, if you played in auction leagues, right? People saying, well, you can get a uh, Luis Arias and pair him with Joey Gallo, right? And together they're one really good player. And I guess now the the Marlins kind of you know, the Marlins are just adopting that strategy yeah yeah pretty much um, Jake Berger just to further point out his power this season three thirteen ISO ranks third among all hitters with at least three hundred plate appearances this season and if you look at his exit velocity on fly balls and line drives in particular ninety seven point mm-hmm. four miles per hour that's tenth best in all of baseball one thing I will point out on the negative for him. And uh, this is something that was pointed out to us recently, I think, by YouTube comment or, or Twitter. 
Uh, his home road splits have been much better at home so far in his career. A 271 batting average, 957 OPS at home in Chicago on the road, 185 batting average, 607 OPS. So, well, now Miami's home. Yeah, that's fair. That, so, uh, <laughs> let's hope that he just continues to mash in his home ballpark, which is now in Miami. Uh, the return here, pretty interesting. Jake Eater, 24 year old left-handed uh, pitching prospect. He was outstanding last season. Uh, was it last season or did he have surgery? 2021. 2021. Uh, he was outstanding in double-A and then he's taking a step back this year. Might turn out to be a good buy-low here for the Chicago White Sox. Scott, I know you were talking extensively about him before we started. Any thoughts on Jake Eater? Yeah, I got him in the Scott White Dynasty League. I drafted him the year he was out with Tommy John surgery because I feel like uh, prospect evaluators tend to just bury pitching prospects who have Tommy John surgery, even though it's a pretty, you know, pretty reliable procedure. It becomes less reliable when you're a less proven pitcher. But to put into context, just how I, I forget what word you use, Frank, but he was how, how good he was at Double A two years ago. Jake Eater had a 177 ERA, 0.98 WHIP, 12.5 K per nine. He was soaring up prospect lists, and then he had the Tommy John. Hasn't been. You know, if you look at the numbers since he came back this year, you're not going to be impressed by him. But his last two starts, 18 strikeouts and 10 and two-thirds innings, he seems to be trending the right way. And and uh, the White Sox have chosen now to buy into him. I think this was the most interesting trade of the day, frankly. Um, Berger's such an interesting player. And he, like I said, he goes to the lineup that needs him the most. And the Marlins, a, a team that, normally tries to an organization that normally tries to accumulate prospects was willing to give up an actual quality prospect in Jake Eater for Jake Berger. So um, I, I guess I'll go back to this for him as well. If I'm ranking all the prospects who were moved at the deadline or in the days leading up to the day the deadline, Eater would probably come in third for me. I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. Uh, Manzardo, Drew Gilbert, and then Jake Eater. Luis Angel Acuna, would you put him ahead of okay. Jake Eater? Yeah, I'd put, I'd put Acuna. Thanks. Yeah, I'd put Acuna ahead of him. Close call between Acuna and Gilbert, actually. I'm going to have to look closer at that mm -hmm. before I actually write that column. But yeah, I would have both ahead of Eater. So, I, fair point. I do have some disappointing news on the Jake Eater, Jake Berger trade front. Uh-oh. Okay. I found another Jake for Jake trade, unfortunately. Ah. I was hoping this would be the first time that two Jakes were traded for one another, but Jake Diekman was traded along with Cole Hamels for a package that included, among other players, Jake Thompson. Ah. So no major league history here. Maybe the first Jake for Jake straight up trade, though. All it's right. Jake challenge trade. Let's stick with the Marlins. They also acquired Josh Bell from the Guardians in exchange for Gene Segura and shortstop prospect Khalil Watson. Looks like Berger will play third base for the Marlins and Josh Bell will be at first. It's been a down year for Josh Bell, batting 233 with 11 home runs, 48 RBI, and a 701 OPS. Still does hit the ball hard and his expected numbers are, are still pretty good. It, it seems like he's been pretty unlucky so far this year, but obviously now does... Uh, go to a pretty tough park to hit their Lone Depot out in Miami. Uh, Chris, your thoughts on the Marlins acquiring Josh Bell. Who would you rather have, Josh Bell or Jake Berger moving forward? I think I'd rather have Jake Berger than Josh Bell. But Josh Bell, like you mentioned, the underlying stats 
very, very good for Jake for Josh Bell. Not quite as good as they were at the 2021 through 2019 peak, but expected Woba is 353 compared to an actual 308 Woba. He's a guy who's underperformed his expected stats throughout his career, but generally not by this much of an extreme. So I do think there's room for Josh Bell to have a big second or last couple of months, I suppose. I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, new ballpark and, you know, better lineup. It is a slightly better lineup, but it would hard to be worse than the Guardians lineup. But like, I just think if there's natural regression, Josh Bell's probably going to be quite a bit better than he has been so far. And, you know, maybe it's just a, a case where a change of scenery helps him get it done. I I don't feel particularly strongly about that, but I have faith that he will be better moving forward. Gene Segura, by the way, was released by the Cleveland Guardians, so we'll see if he could potentially <laughs> latch on with another team as a, as a bench bat or utility hit or something like that. Yeah. I have a hard time believing the Guardians are trying to win the AL Central. Yeah, it's kind of curious moves that they've yeah. made, but I, you know, I mean, one, maybe in 2024, they're trying to win it. One thing that is interesting about this deal is that if Kyle Manzardo gets healthy, they kind of cleared the runway here because they got rid of Josh Bell, something they probably would have had to do in the offseason anyway if they wanted Manzardo to play for them next season. I don't know if we'll see Manzardo this year, but you know, if they wanted to be aggressive, I, I guess there's a chance, Scott. Yeah, probably not. I, I you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking through this for the first time. So forgive my stilted delivery, which is pretty much the norm anyway. But um, yeah, I, I think it definitely improves Manzardo's chances of making the opening day roster next year. And given the new draft pick incentives for players who are on the major league roster for their entire rookie season, then maybe they will want to let Manzardo get his feet wet late this year so that and improves his chances of having a high rookie of the year finish next year. It's a little bit of 4D chess, but it's possible. One really surprising aspect of this trade, I think the Guardians just ate like $10 million with Gene Segura. Because he's due eight and a half million next year, or six and a half million next year, I think, with a two million dollar uh buyout for 2025. That's hmm. that's a little surprising. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe they're really excited to get their hands here on Khalil Watson, who we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, looking at the Guardians lineup from Tuesday, Oscar Gonzalez seems like he might be a pretty big winner too because it seems like he'll have the opportunity to be the everyday DH for the Guardians moving forward as well. So uh, I guess that's a name. He you know popped up and was pretty good in the second half last right. year for them as well. So we'll see what happens with Oscar Gonzalez. Again, the return here on the Josh Bell trade, Khalil Watson goes from the Marlins to the Cleveland Guardians and... There's been a lot going on with Khalil Watson in the past couple of years down in the minors. 20 years old, former first-round pick back in uh, 2020. Is that correct? I wrote I wrote 2016. It definitely was not 2016. 2021. 2021. Yeah, so uh, he was the 16th overall pick in that draft. That's what I meant to write down. Um, but the production has been mostly bad. There was some power and speed uh, originally coming into the MLB draft. Lots of strikeouts, lots of character concerns. Scott, I'm guessing here that the the Guardians think maybe they can kind of get Khalil Watson's career back on track because I, I do think there's upside, but man, there's also been a lot of downside for him too. 
Yeah, it's not a bad gamble for a guy who a couple years ago, pretty much every prospect evaluator was excited about. There was a legitimate question. It was it was the big four shortstops from that 2021 draft class. It was uh, Jordan Lawler, Marcelo Meyer, Brady House, and Khalil Watson. Which of those four was going to be best? And and some people were saying, uh, I don't know how many people were saying Watson would be the best, but some of them were putting him ahead of others on that list, let's just say. Yep. And so his, his first year as a professional was just a total disaster. This year hasn't been much better, but at least the strikeout rate has been much improved. And so he, he hasn't gotten suspended this year. So sure. And so that's I positive. Think, I, I think the Guardians are just you know, buying low, buying low, seeing mm-hmm. if they can make something out of them, uh, convert that talent into production. And if not, then, you know, no, no real loss, I guess. Yeah, and they are an organization, it seems like, that does get uh, the most contact out of their hitters, that, or at least the ones that have come up throughout their system, right? The Will Brennans, the Stephen Kwans. You know, maybe that's just their profile, and that's why they're so good at it. But, you know, we'll see if uh, they can get Khalil Watson's career back on track as well. The Marlins made one other trade. Uh, they acquired Ryan Weathers from the Padres in exchange for Garrett Cooper and Sean Reynolds. Uh, Chris, is there a chance that Ryan Weathers starts here because Edward Cabrera was just optioned to AAA? Yeah, I mean, with with that, I, I think it seems pretty likely that he's going to start. I don't think he's particularly good, but yeah, the Marlins needed some rotation depth, and I think that's all this is. Mm-hmm. For Garrett Cooper, wondering if he just becomes a short side platoon bat for the Padres now because they also acquired G-Man Choi. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, you know, makes sense. G-Man Choi, great against right-handed pitching so far in his career. They can use Garrett Cooper against lefties. Uh, maybe there's something I'm missing here, Scott, but it seems like Garrett Cooper just lost a lot of playing time in San Diego. Yeah. I mean, he he probably would have if he'd stayed in Miami with the acquisition of Josh Bell. So it seemed destined to happen either way. Uh, who had the... Padres been playing at DH previously. I guess it was I guess it was Matt Carpenter and Nelson Cruz who is now gone. So DH just totally blew up on them. They were using the catcher, Scott. Sanchez yeah. and Campusano at catcher and DH. Yep. So I would say nobody who we care about is hurt by this. Uh, all right, let's take our final break. When we return, we'll talk about Scott Barlow. He was traded to the Padres and uh, a few other smaller deals. We'll do all of that right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And 
sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Welcome back, and let's stick with the Padres. They acquired Scott Barlow, who will likely be a setup man for them. Actually, I can guarantee you he will be a setup man for them. He will not be a closer for the Padres. Uh, but the bigger news is what happens in Kansas City. Carlos Hernandez likely steps in as the closer there. I mean, this is really low-end closer stuff because the Royals are not going to win many games rest of season. Uh, but Scott, who would you rather have? between Carlos Hernandez, Gregory Santos, and Brooks Raley. I guess those are all the the three uh, closers that have emerged here on bad teams moving forward. Yeah, I mean, different degrees of bad are those teams. And uh, I, would, I would take Raley, most of all. I think he is the most likely to... Well, first of all, I think the Mets remain the best team of those. And I think he's the most likely to uh, one of the most likely to just hold on to the role. The problem for Gregory Santos is that there's a good chance Liam Hendricks comes back at some point and gives him the boot. And yeah, I mean, Scott Barlow was having trouble getting saves all year for the Royals. So even if Cesar Hernandez, Carlos Hernandez, uh, Carlos Hernandez, excuse me, even if Carlos Hernandez is really good. then the same you would figure would hold true for him. His numbers out of the bullpen this year have been, not so good that like, oh, wow, this guy needs to be in a closer role for somebody, but good enough that you could see him having a successful stint as a closer. 357 ERA, 0.98 whip, 10.7K per nine, throws very hard. We're somewhat familiar with him in fantasy because he was a decent starter for the Royals a couple years ago. Uh, but now he's going to try his hand at closing. One would assume. It is an assumption. Uh, he got a save, what, last week? Yeah, I and think it has um, been Sunday, I think. And, and has been pitching the eighth inning so it's 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 a reasonable assumption but the save chances could nonetheless be few and far between can we go back for one second yep pretty significant name we forgot to mention among the marlins uh rotation options yuri perez yep mm. he's he's likely to I, I would my guess is he makes one more start i think that's today or tomorrow and I would guess his next turn in the rotation is going to be in the Marlins rotation. So pro- probably going to be Yuri Perez as the fifth starter for the Marlins. Please, please get him uh, back. That's, that's I'm, I'd be shocked if he made more than one more start. Yes, please. Let's get him back in the Marlins rotation. Back to the Padres. They acquired some veterans in Rich Hill and G-Man Choi from the Pirates in exchange for left-handed pitcher Jackson Wolf, outfielder Estuar Suero, and Alfonso Rivas. G-Man Choi, very strong career numbers against right-handed pitching. I think, you know, very, very deep leagues if you're desperate for a corner infielder, potentially in that lineup. Uh, Rich Hill, maybe a streamer at times here. Chris, any interest? Deeper leagues, G-Man Choi and Rich Hill. No, no, <laughs> no. I mean, Fair enough. they're not moving from the AL to the NL. So even that I can't really say I, that the joke answer I was going to say is Alfonso Rivas was 
Carlton in the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Mm. That guy's name was Alfonso Ribeiro. <laughs> yeah, kind of similar. I think that's all I've got. That is the extent of my thoughts on the Rich Hill G-Man Choi trade. The the ALNL thing, or were you just saying for people who play in AL and yes. only leagues? They might. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will point out. I think the return, at least in terms of this pitcher Jackson Wolf. I think it's a pretty nice get for the Pirates. 24-year-old lefty, uh, 408 ERA, 109 whip in the minors this year, but 10.7K per nine, 14.5% swinging strike rate. Did make a start earlier this season for the San Diego Padres. We'll see what happens with him, but I, I thought that was a pretty nice return there for the Pirates. Good job. We don't say that often. The Diamondbacks acquired Tommy Pham from the New York Mets, and Scott, do you think Tommy Pham has a place to play every day, or is he mostly a platoon partner for Alec Thomas? I don't feel too great about the playing time here. I'm guessing it's the latter. Uh, you know, Alec Thomas is such a good defender in center field. Still isn't doing much with the bat, but they might value his defense enough in center to keep him there mo- more days than not. And maybe it's against left-handers where Corbin Carroll shifts over to center to allow Tommy Pham in the lineup. I don't know that it'll be a strict lefty-righty thing, but I do think I, I do think Pham will not be playing as much as he was with the Mets. And even that had begun to dwindle recently, Fam dealing with a groin injury. Uh, really hasn't played much the last couple of weeks, hasn't hit much the last couple of weeks when he has played. So to whatever degree he was valuable in fantasy, I would say Fam is less so now. But, but probably worth bringing this up now. The Mets have traded away Fam and Mark Canna over the last week, leaving a big void in left field, which happens to be, be the position Ronnie Mauricio, shortstop prospect, has been playing most at AAA recently. Now, they have made some roster moves to, to, to fill in all the spots that were emptied. They did not call up Ronnie Mauricio. And as you and I were discussing uh, yesterday, Frank, um, we're at a point now, August 1st, where it, it, it might not make sense. Unless a team is counting on a, 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 a prospect call-up propelling them into the playoffs, it might not make sense to call them up until the last week of August so that they retain rookie eligibility for next season and could potentially help them secure a draft pick. So that may be what the Mets are thinking by not calling up Ronnie Mauricio yet. But the path is wide open for him now whenever they decide to pull the trigger. Uh, and on that note as well, there was a quote that I saw recently, earlier today, from Buck Showalter that said they will prioritize development and playing some of the young kids the rest of the season. And it sounds like Mark Vientos is going to get a fair opportunity starting at DH here on Tuesday night. So he's a name to watch. I don't think you have to add him, but he has performed very well in the minors. Big pop as well. So let's see if uh, Mark Vientos can catch fire here with the New York Mets. Did you guys see the quote from Max Scherzer? I don't think so. Uh, he basically said that when he talked to the organization, they told him we're basically we're looking ahead to 2025 and 2026. That like these moves were not, it's not a reloading for 2024 situation that he said that they told him they're probably not going to go after the big free agents this off season and that they're looking ahead more to 2025, 2026. So uh, that was very interesting. Which, I mean, it, it wouldn't make sense for them to trade Verlander if 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 they were thinking about contending next year. Uh, certainly not to eat all the money and trade away Verlander. 
So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was like, quote, I was like, okay, are we reloading for 2024? Billy Epler goes, no, we're not. Basically our vision now is for 2025, 2026, 25 at the earliest, more like 26. We're going to be making trades around that. I mean, I, I get it with some of the talent that they acquired and Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio, if they think these kids can turn into anything, but they also have Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso in the prime of their careers. So it's yeah. kind of well, weird. You know, 2024, apparently 2025, they were, I, it, it sounds, or what, 2025, 2026, it sounds like a distant future where <laughs> there are flying cars and, <laughs> and, and, you know, houses on very tall poles and, and whatever else, robot we call dogs. Them, we call them stilts. It, it it's it's two years from now, so just just keep that in mind, Frank. They're they're only punting on one year. I understand, but, but there were there were reports that they were listening on Pete Alonso, that they didn't outright refuse to trade him because he's a free agent at the end of next season. I think it's also just especially weird. Be, I mean, given just their circumstance, their owner is Steve Cohen. He comes in with all this money, and they're expected to compete and right away. And now they're talking about twenty twenty six. I mean. It's a little weird, but we'll see. Uh, the Blue Jays, they acquired Paul DeYoung earlier in the day, and originally, you know, my mind, I start thinking negatively. I'm like, what's wrong with Boba Shet? I, You know, he had the uh, the knee injury on Monday, which kind of scary, but turns out he's day-to-day with knee inflammation, so it doesn't sound like it'll be too bad. We'll see what happens, but uh, Paul DeYoung also could be a short-side platoon partner for Brandon Belt at designated hitter. I think the bigger takeaway here is... Do the Cardinals be aggressive in calling up Mason Wynn? Because, you know, Tommy Edmonds going to be back. But I think if they wanted to call up Mason Wynn, they could. And he is crushing it in the month of July, hitting 359, eight home runs, 1177 OPS down in the minors. One of the top prospects in the game. Scott, I just don't know if there's enough incentive for the Cardinals to, I guess, start that clock with someone like Mason Wynn. Late August, there will be. Yeah. There was another, uh, Brendan Donovan is out for the season. Yep. That was that was another thing that came out today. Yep. No, I do think we'll see win before the year is done. I just don't know that there's much incentive to call him up today. All right. And he's he he is a really interesting prospect. Doesn't have like a huge power ceiling, but um let's see, I'm trying to think and hitting for power lately. Yeah, I mean he has power, but it's you know he's I, I don't see Mason Wynn turning in I don't know, maybe like a Randy Arozarena caliber hitter is what he could be, but he's a shortstop, obviously, and uh, former pitcher. He actually was a two, only pitched one inning, but there were some thoughts of making him a two-way player when he was first drafted. He has a gun at yeah, shortstop. He, uh, Ellie De La Cruz's standing as the hardest-throwing infielder will last as long as Mason Wynn stays in the minors. Yeah. Because he, uh, he has been clocked at over 100 miles an hour. On infield throws, I'm pretty sure. Defen- I think last year in the Futures game. Defensively, he is he was ready on opening day. Defensively, it's just how quickly would the bat come along here for Mason Wynn. But he's hitting well. The batting average is up. Power, speed. He, he looks like a very promising player for the Cardinals in the future. We should see Mason Wynn at some point later on this season. A few smaller trades. The Red Sox acquired Luis Arias from the Brewers. And uh, Chris, you and I have long been the Luis Arias stands here on this podcast. Do you think he gets a chance to maybe play up the middle with Trevor Story? I I don't know if he's going to play. I kind of think it's an interesting landing spot though because 
he's got that pull heavy swing that, you know, has led to when things have gone well, a little bit of power to the pull side that obviously could work out pretty well with the, the green monster out there. So it'll be interesting to see. I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. Is he, is he healthy right now? I think he was just sent to the minors because he was playing okay. so poorly. So that's the last that I've heard on, on Luis Arias. The Dodgers acquired Ryan Yarbrough from the Royals. And my guess is that he'll come out of the bullpen and he does offer some starting pitcher depth if they need it. But as of now, the Dodgers have Tony Gonsolin, Luis Arias, uh, Julio Arias, excuse me, Bobby Miller, Lance Lynn, Clayton Kershaw could be back soon. They still have Emmett Sheehan. They have Michael Grove. So, And they're talking about Walker Buehler. He could be back by the end of the season mm-hmm. as well. So uh, mm-hmm. it seems like Ryan Yarbrough, more of a long reliever than anything else for the Dodgers. The Rangers acquired Austin Hedges from the Pirates, some catcher depth with Jonah Heim recently going down with injury. Phillies acquired Rodolfo Castro in exchange for Bailey Falter. And then just some much smaller trades. The White Sox acquired Luis Patino for cash. Yankees that, are- that is worth commenting on okay. because he was a huge pitching prospect, Luis Patino, a couple years ago. What trade was he a part of? Was he part of the uh, Jake Cronenworth, Tommy Pham trade? Was that it? He was the biggest piece going back yeah. to the Rays in a pretty significant trade with the Padres was Luis Patino. And just last right. year in a dynasty league, I fought hard to acquire him in a trade and was rebuffed. Because that's how highly regarded he was in an arm. And now the Rays... He was the Blake Snell trade. Yeah. The Blake Snell trade. Okay. And now the Rays are trading him for cash? That That is a precipitous fall for a... Uh, He's uh, been really bad. He has, but that's still... Yeah. 7.5K uh, per nine, 5.8 walks per nine at AAA this year. So reclamation projects here for the White Sox. I, I mean, I, I suppose there's a chance he could pitch for some them some down the stretch this year given that their rotation is pretty depleted we'll see yep we'll see there uh with Luis Patino Yankees acquired reliever Keenan Middleton the Braves acquired Brad Hand uh the Brewers acquired Andrew Chafin the Rays traded for Adrian Sampson and Manuel Rodriguez from the Chicago Cubs and to Nando DeFino's delight his ears must be ringing somewhere the Yankees acquired Spencer Howard, someone I know Nando has loved forever. Let's wrap. Another reclamation project. Yeah, oh. let's uh, a quick mention on what could have been. Apparently, the Dodgers and Tigers had a deal in place for Eduardo Rodriguez, but Erod actually invoked his no trade clause, which killed the deal. Very interesting that he wouldn't want to go from a team like the Tigers to to the Dodgers. But that would be an interesting story to follow and see if any details come out because uh, it sounds like he just doesn't want to move to the West Coast. Oh. It sounds like it was as simple as that. Fair enough. You know what? I don't want to move to the West Coast either. So uh, I I guess I see where he's coming from. Uh, No offense to the West Coasters out there. Multiple teams were in on Dylan Cease right up to the deadline, but nothing happened there. Uh, The Pirates held on to David Bednar and Mitch Keller for now. See if they do anything in the offseason. And the Mets did not trade away Adam Ottavino or Brooks Raley. So again, it looks like those guys will be first up in terms of saves for the New York Mets. Let's wrap up with some winners and losers here from this trade deadline. And Chris, we'll start off with you. Uh, who do you have as a winner? Uh, Andres Munoz feels like an obvious one. I know he wasn't actually traded, but with Paul Seawald gone in Seattle, he seems likely to be a high-end fantasy closer for the rest of the season. I'll say Jamer Candelario, just a, an upgrade, upgraded lineup, probably a slight upgrade in park. 
The other one that I was, I, I'm going to go with Jack Flaherty. I'm going to say Jack Flaherty is a winner. I really do think Hamden Yards could make him go from someone who I really didn't have very much interest in at all in fantasy to someone who I think we will be talking about a decent amount the rest of the way. All right, Scott, I have a feeling Chris might have stole one of your answers or multiple. Well, yeah, I mean, I co-signed <laughs> to Munoz being the biggest winner at the deadline. I said right. uh, yesterday when the trade happened that I thought that would be the case. And uh, pleasantly surprised at my prediction that it would be a relatively quiet deadline day, given the uh, given that the, the trades kind of the, the trades were kind of more spread out over the course of the week this year rather than all happening at the last minute. So, uh you know, that, that proved to be true. Uh, okay, biggest winners, apart from Munoz, I'm going to say Lance Lynn uh, getting a second chance to a, a chance to turn his career around with a, a, an organization that generally doesn't miss with its acquisitions in the Dodgers. I'm going to say uh, Jordan Montgomery landing in an organization that gives him a lot more win potential. And... Let's go with. I'm going to think this through a little more. I'm actually going to write about a column. I'm going to write a column about it after we get off. But uh, just going top of mind here. Uh, I had a third one. Now I can't remember it. Uh, oh, it was Ronnie Mauricio. Even though he's not coming up today, I would call him a winner at the deadline since left field is open up for him. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off that one as well. And I, I think this might be more so from a dynasty perspective, but Kyle Manzardo, I, I yep. think he's a winner with all of this going down. Sure, yeah. They traded away Josh Bell. They, there's a clear runway now. It's, you know, Kyle Manzardo and Josh Naylor as the first base and the DH of the future for the Cleveland Guardians. He still does have some things to figure out in terms of the splits. He's been really bad against left-handed pitching in the minors. But if he can improve at all, I think that the Guardians are going to give him an opportunity to be an everyday player as soon as opening day next season. So I, I think a big winner here is Kyle Manzardo. Let's slide over to the losers. Scott, we'll start with you this time. Uh, anyone very clearly losing value in fantasy baseball? I feel like CJ Crone's the biggest loser. He gets to keep playing for now. I'm not sure that's going to last. And even if it does last, you know, pre-Coors Field, CJ Crone was no great shakes in fantasy. And so I believe that remain. that's going to remain. He's going he's to revert to that. Other big losers. Uh, I don't know. You got I'll, anybody? I'll give you an assist here, Scott. He, he has the same name as you. Scott Barlow. Scott Barlow. Yep, big, that's, big loser. that's an obvious one. No longer getting saves. I was trying to... That's actually along the lines I was thinking. Who loses save chances? Yeah, like I, I almost thought like David Montgomery as a winner just... Uh, Sorry, I completely blanked. David Robertson. <laughs> David Montgomery. Yeah. He's going to be great for the Lions this year, by the way. Yeah, that's, sorry. Oh, I'm, well, I'm writing about the running back depth charts. But, like, <laughs> David Robertson going from a team that, as it turns out, was selling hard to a team that was buying. That, that's obviously, I think, a winner. Yeah, and so that would make A.J. Puck a loser, Tanner Scott, if you had picked him up uh, as a possible replacement since Puck was struggling. Yeah, uh, Randall Grichik, like CJ Crone, I would have mm -hmm. to consider a loser. Loser. Um, and then, uh, you know, all the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Closer candidates led by Scott McGuff and Kevin Ginkle. I would have to call them losers. Uh, yeah, I think those are the clearest ones. Chris, any additions here? 
I've got one that's a little off the wall, but just kind of trying to read the tea leaves here. Maybe Jonah Heim. You know, maybe the decision to trade for Austin Hedges. I know Austin Hedges, like, that's one of the, maybe the worst hitter in baseball among, like, players who actually try to hit now. Uh, But, you know, maybe that acquisition suggests a little concern about his ability to come back from that wrist injury. I just remembered, too, that I wanted to bring up. Jonathan Aranda, loser. Mm. Michael Bush, loser. A couple 25-year-olds have absolutely nothing more to prove in the minors. They are dominating down there, and they just can't find openings with the big club. And I thought, I hoped, they would be dangled as, as trade bait. Maybe Bush was part of a, a, a hypothetical Eduardo Rodriguez yeah. deal. We'll never know. But they, they remain with their present organizations, which means they remain in purgatory. And that's frustrating because they both look like they could. Uh, I mean, really, any that. prospect who gets traded away from the Rays. I know they're a very smart organization that tends to get a lot of the most out of their guys. But like any guy getting traded from the Rays, I'm going to view as a winner just because the Guardians are much less likely. One, the Rays are just incredibly patient with their with their hitters, you know, with their prospects in general. And they're always willing to use guys in platoon roles. If, if, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on the name now. The guy they just traded to the Guardians, Kyle Manzardo. Kyle Manzardo. God, I, I just saw somebody tweet Angel Bastardo's name <laughs> and just completely, they're so similar that I just completely blanked. Um, he's going to play every day next year. He may not be good every day. You know, he may struggle against lefties, but like, the Rays, there is a really good chance that he gets called up by the Rays next season and is just a platoon player. That's just how they operate. They're they're yep. fully willing to potentially sacrifice long-term development for short-term gains. And I, yeah, we're we're totally on the same wavelength with that. I was I was actually saying last night if because I, I traded Kyle Manzardo away in the Scott White Dynasty League this year, and if I had known he was going to be in with a different organization. <laughs> Before he got called up to the big leagues, I might not have done that because, yeah, with the Rays, you, you have to assume they're going to, to. Uh, they're looking for any possible edge they can get in exactly. terms of winning games right now, and that's smart. They're really good at that, but it's for it, our. It we look at Joshua Lowe, who has been really good, but has been hampered by the fact that he doesn't play every day. Yep. Well, that's it. The opening day is opening day. The trade deadline, we're all over the place. Let's let's get it together <laughs> before we come back here later on. Let's, you know, meditate and kind of think about what we're doing here. But the trade deadline is in the books. The big news of the day, Justin Verlander sent back to the Houston Astros, Michael Lorenzen to the Phillies, Jack Flaherty to the Orioles, and the Marlins trading for a bunch of hitters, Jake Berger and Josh Bell. We're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Uh, please like and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. And we'll be back again a little bit later on. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 